Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 50 of the Fabulously Keto podcast and today we're interviewing Netta Gorman. Netta is English but she's spent the last 30 years living and working in Canada. So she has been doing some fantastic work recently uh, with the French-speaking Canadians and I guess because she's online it will be available to anybody that's French-speaking in the world. Um, She came across low carb because she was struggling so much with her IBS and stomach issues. So we're going to find out more about what's happening with Netta and how she came to living her life after sugar. Isn't it fabulous that we also, like last week with Christine from Black People Keto, we've actually got someone that is translating literally in French and making keto more accessible. And I think it's really fabulous that we are actually having people that are really making keto, well, in a diverse way, sort of accessible for for people where we think that, you know, keto is just not this English language, white person's way of eating, that it can be translated into, you know, and made it accessible for other other groups and other populations, which, you know, is fantastic. And well done to Danetta for um, making it accessible to, to French-speaking Canadians. Yeah, absolutely. Jackie, why don't you tell us a bit more about Netta? Netta Gorman is the person behind Life After Sugar, because real life carries on even when you're sugar-free. Netta has been living happily free from sugar, flour and sweeteners since July 2015, so six years now. She spent most of her 30s and 40s struggling with chronic constipation and digestion issues, but she never thought that her love for chocolate and desserts had anything to do with it. Doctors kept telling her to eat more fibre, but this was making things worse, not better. In July 2015, She got to a breaking point where her pain and suffering was so bad that she decided to do something she'd never tried before. Cut out sugar, flour and sweeteners for a temporary period of just two weeks. And to her complete amazement, she felt so much better that she carried on and never looked back. One thing still amazes her is that her tastes have changed and now she doesn't even like sweet tastes anymore, whereas before... She was the world's number one sweet tooth. And most of all, the one word that sums up her life after sugar is freedom. Freedom from cravings, freedom from energy crashes, from that love-hate relationship with sugar, from all the health issues she had. And this is why she decided to help other people to get to this place of freedom and peace with food and themselves with the Life After Sugar program. Fantastic. Let's hear from Netta. 
welcome Netta to the Fabulous Keto podcast. It's wonderful to have you on the show today. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. So as with all our guests, we like to start with where in the world are you? Well, I'm living and have been living for over 30 years in French-speaking Quebec in Canada. But as you can hear, I'm not from here. I'm actually, I actually grew up in Coventry in the UK. And then um, I wanted to take a gap year between my A-levels and university. And I was planning to go to France. And then I met a guy <laughs> from Quebec who was my French teacher's teacher's assistant at A-level level. And then he... We started going out together and he said, why don't you come to Quebec? We speak French there. And I said, yeah, all right. Um, and then I went off to Quebec for a year and I liked it so much that after I started my degree at the University of York in linguistics, then I moved all my sort of, well, I moved myself and my education over to Quebec and did my degree in language teaching in Quebec City. And the rest is history, really. I've just stayed on. Lovely. So you've got the best of the Commonwealth, obviously, you know, our Commonwealth cousins being Australian in Canada and obviously from the UK. So, um, yeah, you've got the best of North America as well as um, yeah, the UK as well. Yeah, and I've got the fun side. So, And I was just saying I, I live in the fun side of Canada because it's all Frenchy, fun-loving, joie de vie, you know, in Quebec. I love it here. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. And for 30 years, obviously, you didn't sort of end up with the, the teaching assistant. Um, you obviously tried the local fair, as you say. Yes. Oh, yes. You know, you, it's the best way to learn a language is <laughs> to hook up with someone who speaks that language. So, you know, I wanted to become bilingual. That's my excuse. So I tried out several boyfriends, but um, the husband that I'm with now, <laughs> which is my only one, <laughs> I've been with for 20 years. That's wonderful. Um, so let's get to your story. Um, Jackie and I have had the pleasure of being on your podcast and um, thank you for returning the favour and um, coming on our Fabulous Akita podcast. So we had an opportunity to tell you our story. So why don't you tell us and share your low-carb keto journey? And Yeah, okay. So I don't identify myself with how I eat. So I don't, you know, I don't consider I'm keto or low-carb or paleo or any of those things. I'm just netter. <laughs> but what happened, my story was that I had a relatively healthy diet all my life. Um, and I've always been naturally slim. Um, so I never had a weight problem. And, you know, we tend to think that if you don't have a weight problem, then you don't have a health problem. But that wasn't true for me. Um, I'd had mental health issues. I'd actually gone through a depression and was medicated in my late 20s. Um, and that runs in the family, mental health issues. Um, I had uh, infertility issues for the longest time. We tried for at least four years to have a child and had um, all sorts of interventions and, you know, help from the medical field and ended up, long story short, ended up having IVF. Um, so that actually, we were lucky enough, if you could call that lucky, lucky enough to get pregnant the first time with IVF, um, thanks to, you know, a great team and a credit card, because <laughs> it certainly wasn't free. Um, and we had a child, I was almost 38 when she was 
born, very healthy, perfect child, so happy. And she's 13 now, she's called Lily. Um, but, you know, I had those infertility issues which made me feel like a failure as a woman. Um, and then I also had digestive problems all through my 30s and into my 40s when I just had chronic constipation and my sort of digestion got slower and slower as the years got went on. Doctors were telling me, eat more fiber, eat more fiber, take these laxatives. And neither of those things helped. In fact, they made things worse. And I was desperate. By the time I was 45, I was just desperate. I was going to the toilet like once a week and, you know, experiencing the discomfort and the bloating and the pain. And just, again, this feeling of good grief. I can't even do this basic biological function. And, um, yeah, so that's that was part of my health issues and then um, I got in touch well my brother actually got in touch with a nutritional therapist that he worked with and she was based in the states and this is in 2015 and I actually hooked up with her on Skype which was pretty rare in those days <laughs> pre-covid days and she again long story short but she suggested to me one of the things that she suggested to me to see whether my digestive issues were due to what I was eating was just for a period of two weeks, temporary period, for two weeks to cut out sugar, grains, and sweetness, and even dairy. And I said, nah, no, thanks. No, I'm not doing that. You know, who, who wants to do that? And because the way that I was dealing with my issues or my pain or my anxiety or whatever was to eat chocolate. I wasn't going to cut out the only thing that made me feel better. Yeah. So I resisted that for the longest time until a few months later when I thought, yeah, I can't, I can't live like this anymore, going to the toilet once a week and having all this pain. And maybe she has a point. And maybe for two weeks, you know, you can do anything for two weeks. Maybe I should give it a try. So I give myself credit for at least having that open-mindedness once I got over my, <laughs> over my resistance, at least to have that open-mindedness to say, let's give it a try. And then the other thing that came when I sort of decided to give it a try, I didn't have a clue what I was going to eat. Yeah. Because what, what do you eat when you cut out sugar and Grains, grains, flour, and sweeteners, and dairy. I mean, I still kept some cream in my coffee because I just that that's just too much <laughs> to cope with. But yeah, I I went to the supermarket. I remember and just sort of wandered around aimlessly, picking things up on the shelves and putting them back again because I was looking at the ingredients and they all had some form of sugar or flour. Everything. everything everything has it and it took me a while to realize to realize oh hang on not everything but everything that has a link a list of ingredients and everything that has packaging or you know is in some sort of box or can or packet or whatever and when I finally cottoned on to the fact that real food or whole food doesn't have added sugars or grains 
then I sort of I had this epiphany, as it were, in the grocery store <laughs> to actually think, oh, well, I'll just have fruit, vegetables, meat, fish, seafood, you know, and um, nuts, and I'll be fine like that. So you went to the supermarket. Was it in the same that one same visit, or did it take time, or did you just have the epiphany there right that moment? Yeah, I had the epiphany with an empty shopping cart right there <laughs> after spending like two hours in the in the supermarket. You know, as I said, looking at labels, putting things back on the shelf. After all that time in the supermarket, that same visit, that's when I had my epiphany of thinking, oh, maybe I should just go around the outskirts of the store and that's where, where I'll find the real food. Yeah. So did you go home and then start cooking all the food? Did uh, did you take it on board straight away and do, just cut out everything in one go? Yeah, I did. I, I got my groceries in my cart, went through checkout, went home and thought, now what? <laughs> What am I supposed to do now? Um, not because I didn't know how to cook. I've always cooked. But, uh, and it's one of the things that my husband and I share as, as an enjoyable activity that we did together when before we had a child and, and slightly less since, you know, because we've sort of split our <laughs> domestic tasks. But I, I, it's not that I didn't know how to cook. It's just that I wasn't used to only cooking things from scratch all the time and it was once I got over this sort of block of thinking what am I supposed to do now and realized oh hang on you know I've got hundreds of recipe books sitting there at home how about how about I open a few of them and get going with the ingredients that I have in my fridge yeah so what did you what did you notice after the two weeks the biggest thing I noticed, first of all, on my plate was my breakfast, was that my breakfast, because I was, you know, still in the sort of three meals a day paradigm in those days, plus snacks even. But my breakfast wasn't like any breakfast I'd been used to having all my life. So I was eating eggs and sometimes some kind of other protein, be it cheese or meat or anything else and vegetables even for breakfast, you know, no toast, no cereal, nothing sweet, not jam or anything like that. And I was like, this is the weirdest thing to eat in the morning ever. <laughs> I, just, I just felt strange. But physically, after the first few days when my body sort of got over the, the what they call detox, um, I, I started to get more energy. I felt like I was jumping out of bed in the morning. I felt like I wasn't crashing in the afternoon. And I thought, gosh, I think I'm going to carry on one more week after those first two weeks. So I did. I carried on one more week and then another week and then another week. And I kept feeling better and better and more and more energetic. And then my spare tire started to melt away. And my sort of my my skin started looking better, and everything just started feeling better. My digestion got better, which was what I was doing this for. And I thought I'll just carry on. So, 
how long did it take before your your digestion felt better, would you say? I would say it took, because at that time, you know, full disclosure, I was also taking um, hydrochloric acid tablets because um, the, the um, uh, nutritional therapist, sorry, the nutritional therapist told me, maybe you're not making enough stomach acid from what you're, you know, describing as your symptoms. I reckon you're not making enough stomach acid, which is sort of the opposite of what most doctors think. They usually give you anti-acids. And it ended up that she was right. And so she said, look, try these um, hydrochloric acid tablets, which is the acid that you make naturally in your stomach, and, and just be very careful with them. Anyway, it ended up that those tablets helped my stomach to start digesting, my, digesting my food. And I was taking... Um, and digestive enzymes as well so together with that plus not hurting my gut health with sugary and stuff and flour I think I started feeling that things move within the first week and then slowly but surely um, things started getting more and more regular and it's not just the regularity when you have constipation, it's also the straining and the, you know, sitting on the toilet for hours and nothing happening. So um, that all started getting better pretty fast, I'd say. Mm. Was your diet predominantly sort of carbohydrate? You know, were you eating a lot of bread, pasta, rice, apart from, as you said, the mental health aspect of the chocolate, but was it really carb-centric, you know, as your French, well, French-speaking think... Quebec croissants? Those yeah, no, I didn't really... think it was carb-centric because I wasn't aware. First of all, I didn't know what carbs were, you know. Before all this, I had no idea what macros were or carbs, you know. I, I was eating, every day I was eating some sort of bread or bagel or wrap or something because I was I was told I grew up believing that's what you need whole grains never thinking that they weren't whole at all they were ground up into flour but I did what I was told to do good girl I ate grains every day um I yes weekends I would maybe have croissants or you know chocolate croissants or something like that um I would have rice or pasta or some sort of side dish like that but not knowing that it was carbs only doing it because that's what I'd grown up to believe you had to do and that's why it seemed so strange at the beginning not to do that anymore and again I didn't know I was not eating carbs when I changed my diet because I didn't know what carbs were mm. yeah you're told we're told not to eat sugar not to eat bread, rice, pasta, all those things that we tend to think of as staples. You know, they're, they're the foundation of our meals, aren't they? Yes, and I wasn't told not to eat them all my life. Up until the age of 45, the message that I'd understood was, no, you've got to have a bit of those in every single meal because that is what is a balanced diet. Mm -hmm. And You know, as I was telling you at the beginning, I, it didn't create any sort of significant weight gain in my case I had about 15 pounds to lose because I you know it sort of came on over the years and especially because I had a baby so late I had some some discomfort with sort of that muffin top 
But, you know, from the outside looking in, I was pretty slim, you know. And then when, when that extra weight started to melt off without me doing more exercise, without me eating less, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't, be, I couldn't understand what was happening. Mm. But what I'm hearing is your story wasn't really about those extra, you know, post-baby pounds. It was everything else. And it's really great that we're focusing on that non-weight issue because so many stories with, you know, the whole food paleo, the netter way of eating has gives really rise to the fact that, you know, our health impacts us in many other ways, such as your mental health. Did you, was it a low mood? Did you have a diagnosis or in terms of, you know, anxiety, depression, that sort of thing? In my late 20s, I was diagnosed with clinical depression um, by a psychiatrist, not just psychologist, but a psychiatric doctor who um, gave me, you know, antidepression pills or whatever they're called. And I took them for several months. And I knew that I, that depression um, ran in on my mother's side of the family. And it's sort of, I've always been, I wouldn't say moody as such, but I'd always been sort of up and down. I'd suffered very badly from PMS. And so my moods would get, I'd have these black moods and just felt like I couldn't, So I just felt like I was drowning in these negative and sad thoughts. And um, when I was going through IVF also, that plays with your hormones terribly. And so I remember feeling those ups and downs, especially downs, dreadfully during the IVF period. And also after I'd given birth, I had some pretty, I wouldn't say I had postpartum depression, but um, not far, not far. Um, And I just thought it was normal to sort of be up and down. I thought it was normal to have PMS and I thought it was normal for me to just be like that. And only after, after several months of having cut sugar and flour and sweeteners did I realise I'm not getting moods anymore, you know. And I, I just, it doesn't mean that I don't get emotions, but I don't feel anymore that I'm drowning in my moods or that I'm powerless you know I I don't feel in control because I don't think it's a question of control per se but I just realized that my moods are much more stable and that I'm not being sort of buffeted about by all these difficult and negative dark thoughts Mm. that in itself you know the legacy of that 20 so years so you know from your early 20s to you know that taking this change did you connect the powerful relationship of food and mood until that point zero no not at all the only connection I made was that chocolate made me feel better or desserts made me feel better or snacks made me in other words I'd reach out for something to eat invariably sweet when I felt these types of moods so they were my sort of soothers and best friends and ways of coping with my emotions and that was the connection that I made but because I didn't go that one step 
further back to say, well, what if those kinds of foods are actually making those moods worse? I mean, I, no way was I going to go there because that would mean I'd have to stop eating them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, 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 don't, we don't grow up connecting food with all these other things that go on our digest digestion maybe a bit but not mental health we don't as associate with um what we eat there's lots of different aspects to health that we don't connect the dots with food absolutely and you know at that time when i was growing up in the late 70s and during the 80s and even the 90s it was the low fat craze so you know now that i know what i know and you know as well about good fats you know helping your brain to function well in, and you know, I started adding fermented foods, real probiotic foods that I make myself in my 40s as well. And that helped my gut health. Now that I know about the brain-gut connection and good fats, I suspect that all through my 20s and 30s and early 40s, my whole system just wasn't getting nourished enough to, to help to stabilize my moods. So Jackie and I, we attended in London one of the PHC um, public health collaboration conferences and we saw a psychiatrist there who showed us, you know, the actual identified the actual bacteria in the gut that are responsible for these particular hormones. And like, as you said, that butt gain, the brain-gut um, connection there and, you know, all this time, it makes sense that you you had this gut dysbiosis, that you had this gut problem, you know, which affected your hormones, which affected your digestion system. And then obviously taking out the sugars has obviously, this is a whole new chapter for you, girl. I bet you're, you're living your best life now. Totally, totally. You know, and it started in my mid-40s, you know, and they say life begins at 40. Well, for me... You know, life began, not that my life before then was, was you know, it was a, a, a wash, but feel, I feel like since my, my mid-40s, I have been turning back time. You know that film with Benjamin Button, you know, he's getting younger every year or whatever. <laughs> it's like, I feel that I got my 20s back in my 40s and now I'm 51. I... I feel better than I ever have before. And it's not just because I'm going to the toilet every day. <laughs> That's just part of it. But having now that I eat my own fermented foods every day, so I make my own kombucha, I make water kefir, I make um, uh, my own yogurt, milk kefir, fermented veggies, sauerkraut, kimchi, all those things, I make myself and I have to say, you know, it doesn't take any time because you, it takes a few minutes, the same amount of time as it would to cut up vegetables and then you leave them to ferment. And that's what's called passive time. You don't sort of stand over them and watch them ferment for three weeks. You just get on with your life and then they're ready, you know, in, in several days or several weeks. Anyway, so I, I eat and drink these things every day. It's just become part of my daily diet. And I really think that having cut out sugar and flour and sweeteners, which are crappy for your gut health, um, as well as these probiotic real foods, not pills, real probiotic foods that your body knows what to do with, 
both of these things together have helped me, A, to feel fantastic, B, and I quote others, to look fantastic. <laughs> I'm just quoting. <laughs> <laughs> and C, just to feel like, yeah, like I'm, I, I'm 20 again. It is amazing, isn't it? Because you, in a way, you forget where you were, that place where it's you're deep, deep and dark and life just doesn't really have any meaning and in a way it's 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 not a nice place to be whether you have mental health issues or not so I don't associate myself with having mental health issues but maybe I did and I just would plod on anyway but letting go of all that and I I recognize in myself that I was very angry in you know in that few years leading up to when I was at my heaviest weight I was forever screaming at the kids and and then I did notice quite quickly afterwards that actually I'd stopped screaming and I'd chilled out massively without doing anything it just happens and you can't imagine what it was like before yeah you sort of forget and and you know probably because you know it's it's not necessarily useful to remember the shouting and the screaming but once you think back to it you think well I don't miss it I know what it feels like and now I feel empowered because I know what I need to do or to keep doing so as I don't go back there mm. yeah. and it's I feel empowered because I know it is in my power to choose what I eat and it's not like I used to feel powerless as I was telling you before powerless with my emotions like they took over my whole being whereas now I know that it's actually in my power to feel better mm. but the power came through choice you know the choice to eat this particular way so has there been any times when you've sort of had a sneaky croissant or you've had a sneaky bit of chocolate and that you've gone back to that for various reasons holidays family well, I can tell you that the sneakiness has had a light shone on it. In other words, I've stopped that type of sneaky behavior. So I've sort of told, I sort of came to the conclusion that that sneaky behavior or approach was part of the problem to begin with. And actually, I feel now, I call it the nothing to hide, nowhere to hide phenomenon, <laughs> that's what I call it, that I have nothing to hide and nowhere to hide and that there is no reason to be sneaky anymore, first of all. Well, irrespective of the food, it's the behaviour. And it's sort of like I've um, given myself permission to be totally transparent about what I'm doing and what I'm eating. So I don't need that sneakiness anymore. And to answer your question, during COVID, you know, uh, we all had our <laughs> challenges. And I actually asked my husband, could you start making sourdough bread? Because everyone was making sourdough. It's not to be like everyone else, but could you start you know, experimenting with sourdough bread? Because I want to learn a bit about how it ferments. I was interested in the fermentation side of sourdough and not because I haven't eaten bread for so many years. I wasn't necessarily interested in the bread per se, but I you know, I did taste it, I did eat it, but what happened was when I started cutting a slice of this delicious sourdough bread was that that sneakiness started up again. My brain 
said started that internal chatter in in my head and said ah just one more slice you're putting loads of butter on it anyway so it doesn't really matter and all of a sudden all that kind of internal chatter and that sneaky behavior of me sort of looking from side to side to, so that to make sure no one was in the kitchen watching me slice another slice all that started up again and i you know hadn't had it for so many years that i was able to sort of be more aware of it and i said to myself no i'm not going back there i've been so comfy without all that sort of behavior for so many years over 5 years at that time i'm not going back and i stopped it right there so would you consider yourself an abstainer yes yes so you know gretchen rubin has this sort of abstainer and moderator and i did a whole podcast episode about that as well on my podcast and yeah i do and i wouldn't have considered myself an abstainer a before i knew all about that sort of concept but or b i wouldn't have sort of admitted to myself that i was an abstainer but today i totally admit that to myself and you know wear it with pride hi my name is louise and i'm an abstainer and it's really interesting to be in the company of another abstainer because i think I'm a structured process person. The more that I've, as Gretchen says, you know, you've got to know yourself and I know my habits and, you know, there's loophole thinking and there's things that I need accountability buddies and I need to build all these things in my life, these habits, particularly around food, because really as at the heart of it, it's about the sugar addiction for me in terms of those triggers, those sneaky behaviours are triggered by the dopamine in my brain and it drives me and it manifests in this particular way. So, and I get that we've, or Jackie interviewed Bitten Johnson, so I know that, you know, the difference between the social use to the harmful use to, you know, there's gradients. But when I know that I have the sugar, then there are things that happen in my body biochemically, physiologically, that drive my behaviour. Amongst everything else, you know, the stress, the sleep, those, those other things that all contribute to those decisions to make about, you know, have what I put in my mouth. So it's complicated, but the more that we can, as you said, empower ourselves to make those good choices, you know, the happier my your gut will be, you know, my the muffin top will won't be so muffiny. Um, my mood, your mood, you know, will be be happier as well, and everything else flows on from there. Like your relationships, your sleep, your work. Exactly, exactly. And I work as a teacher for like A level level. In other words, seventeen to nineteen year olds, and I mean, usually every end of semester i would have a cold or catch something from them and i can't remember the last time i was sick you know i can't remember when i last had a cold and i spend you know before covid <laughs> i spent all you know all day every day with kids that are sneezing and coughing and whatever i never caught any of it mm. so tell us a bit more about the probiotic foods and why people should incorporate them into their daily 
food daily diet daily diet they're not very well known all these foods I certainly didn't know much about them but um you know we know what yogurt is but I have to say most of the yogurts that are sold in the supermarkets are not really probiotic I mean the packaging or the marketing will tell you that it they have maybe a billion cultures or whatever a billion is nothing a billion is, is a drop in the ocean. I mean, it sounds like a lot and it's great marketing, but most yogurts have got some sort of additives or flavorings or sugar in them. And then if you do happen to find plain yogurt, some of the ones have been pasteurized after the fermentation process. So that kills off all the good bacteria or most of them. And then if you do happen to have to find a plain yogurt that it says that it has live cultures still it's a drop in the ocean there's not that many of them so i make my own yogurt with what's called a mesophilic yogurt culture mesophilic just means that it ferments on the counter at room temperature you don't need a yogurt maker you don't need any special paraphernalia you just it's called vili it's um, scandinavian uh, vili culture you put, it's, I have it in a powder when it first gets to me. You just mix it up with cream because the Villy culture really loves cream. I put 10% organic cream together with it. And organic because it doesn't have additives in the cream. And then leave it for 24 hours and it becomes yogurt on the countertop. <clears throat> and then I just take a spoonful or two of that yogurt, use it to stop the next yogurt and so on it lasts forever you can't really do that with store-bought yogurts because they're not really live cultures and at some point you know after two or three batches they'll probably sour so this type of yogurt is actually live it's much cheaper than the store-bought and it doesn't have a whole load of weird additives because it's made with cream and not milk plus some sort of starches to make it feel like it's made with cream. And I also make um, milk kefir. Kefir is like 10 times more probiotic than yogurt. And uh, kefir sort of comes from Russia and Eastern Europe originally. And that's another type, it's similar to yogurt, but the, the kefir that's sold in the stores is more liquid. It might be a little bit tingly on the tongue. That's the good bacteria there. Um, and so I use what I, I make my own. I don't buy it. I use kefir grains, they're called. It sounds a bit weird to say grains, but they actually look a little bit like mini cauliflower heads. And that's another colony of different types of bacteria, good bacteria from the yogurt. And I mix those with milk, like regular store-bought, crappy, homogenized, pasteurized milk. But the good thing about milk kefir grains is that they will give back the nutrition to the nutritious value to the crappy uh, industrialized milk that we have in the stores. So I don't drink milk, but I do eat kefir and um, I get all the probiotics that way. So is it important to have different types of probiotic foods to get different? Yes. Um, different do. types of bacteria. bacteria yes the variety is more important than quantity 
So rather than drinking two liters of milk kefir, you're probably much better off eating a little bit of yogurt, a little bit of milk kefir, a little bit of kombucha, a little bit of fermented vegetables over the week. Can't say all of them every day necessarily because you know you can get obsessed with all that sort of thing, which is not very good for you to be obsessed by stuff. But um, yeah, a little bit of everything over the, the span of a week, much better. It's interesting about the about the yogurt because obviously living here in Bangkok, Thailand, dairy is is something that is expensive. Uh, sometimes it's actually mostly imported, particularly the cheeses and some of the yogurts are actually from Australia. Um, so there's not a necessarily a big sort of dairy range. It, there is milk, but there's soy, um, particularly because I think some cultures are lactose intolerant. So that's there's a there's a variety there. I brought my Instant Pot with me, the one that I bought on the um, the Amazon UK Black Friday, or the yeah the black the black sale Black Friday sales. So um, I make my my yogurt in on the function on the button, but with um, certainly with the with the milk. But I add the cream and the cultures and that sort of thing. So I actually start it with the the powdered cultures and, and that sort of thing. But I will check to see if it's mesophilic. So, yes, um, yeah, those powdered cultures that they sell um, in the refrigerated section of, of most supermarkets are fine. They're fine. They're just one use, though. So you keep having to mm. buy them. Whereas this mesophilic villi sort of heirloom um, cultures you can use over and over again. But you don't even need your Instant Pot. I mean, you know, I love my Instant Pot. It saves my life. But I don't use it to make yogurt because I don't need to because mm. it doesn't need to be heated. But the other thing is, obviously, maybe I could just leave it on the balcony. You know, that'll that'll bloom things. Yeah, <laughs> bloom I mean, nice where you live, it's warm enough for it to, <laughs> to ferment. Yeah, <laughs> we'll just leave it out half on the, the year, Yeah, where I live, half the year it's minus thirty, so it'll just become ice cream. <laughs> yeah, I'll just yeah frozen let things bloom if I turn yogurt. the air conditioner off. Yeah, yeah. frozen yogurt. <laughs> exactly. But it is interesting. There are actually, if I go down to my local market, there are fermented foods there. So there's uh, the cabbage leaves. I think there's like a pickle. They do have a range of pickled um, vegetables. But, of course, um, it's it's locally sourced and produced. But I don't know if there's any little, you know, sneaky sugars in there that they use that in the brining, if they, they will have that sort of stuff. But there are fermented thing pickles that they'll put in soups for instance so right the, and miso and the curry is fermented yeah i mean out yeah. east where you where you are it's, it's like fantastic and, and just a regular mm. part of their diet anyway to eat fermented <laughs> vegetables yeah whereas think, here not so much yeah it, it'd be interesting i might go with fresh perspective down to the local market because in that they have the wet market, obviously, with all the meats and the, the very, obviously, fresh market vegetables and the sellers there, you know, with the big mounds of curry pastes and things like that. So there's all all fermented foods there. What about soy? Because that's obviously you can have, like, tofu as a fermented food. Yeah, tofu actually isn't really fermented um, in, in the real sense of the word, but um, the tempeh is much more so... You know, if you're going to, I don't eat soy because I just don't like it. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Um, and so I don't eat it. And nobody in my family likes um, 
any sort of soy product I've tried and none of us like it so we don't bother but but if you are going to eat some sort of soy product then fermented soy in this in miso tempeh seitan that's probably better than tofu and the, the great thing about fermentation is that it turns like for kombucha it turns sugar into lactic acid so, you know, people say to me, hang on, you don't eat sugar. How come you're drinking your, your kombucha? And that's probably because, you know, most kombuchas that are in the stores are very sweet tasting and sugary. And you do need sugar to make kombucha. So I don't think I've ever had as many bags of sugar in my house since, <laughs> since I turned sugar free. But that sugar, I say, I'm t- I don't eat it. My good bacteria eat it for me. Mm-hmm. And as they ferment the sweet tea, which is at the base of kombucha, they take that sugar, but the good bacteria take that sugar, ferment it into lactic acid, which is partly what gives it that sort of tart taste and the fizziness. I let mine ferment um, three or four weeks. So there's uh, almost no residual sugar. It doesn't taste sweet at all. It tastes vinegary. And that's how I like it. And so... Yeah, and so if you know about the fermentation process, then you know that in kombucha, the good bacteria will eat up the sugar for you and give you all the goodness of of probiotics. In cheese, the good bacteria will eat up the lactose for you, at least half of it, and more so the harder the cheese, the less lactose there is. Even for people like me, well, I'm not lactose intolerant, but, you know, might as well eat some good cheese. I love it. And I know how the fermentation process works. And same thing for, you know, milk um, into yogurt, into milk, kefir. Whereas with veggies, it's more to do with the salt. So the, the good bacteria take the, the salt and the, and the natural carbs that are in the vegetables. And actually the good bacteria take the natural carbs in vegetables and turn that into lacto, lactic acid to ferment the vegetables. So for kimchi or sauerkraut, and the salt helps to keep away the pathogens, the bad bacteria. Mm. But then, what about wine? There's a fruit that's fermented, or you, we 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 got to have yeah. some wine. So wine and beer. I don't like the taste of beer, so I don't drink it. Um, wine. I like wine. Wine doesn't like me very much. Um, but so it's not everything that is fermented is probiotic. So we'd like to believe that wine is a probiotic drink because it's been fermented. But so it's not probiotic. Yes, it's been fermented. The the sugar in the grapes has partly been fermented. And that, what the good bacteria create there is alcohol. Now, alcohol is not very good for your liver. And I'm sure you knew that already. (laughs) So even though your liver's not dealing with the sugar in the grapes, it's having to deal even more with the alcohol in the wine. So you're not actually helping your liver any by eating wine. But, and I'm not here to say, drink it, don't drink it. I don't really care what you drink or what you eat. I care about how you feel. Um, So it's up to you knowing that you're not doing your liver any favors by telling yourself that you're drinking something probiotic when you're having a glass of wine. Yeah, no, that's not the case. What about the apple cider vinegar? I mean, I know yeah, that's so, fermented, but is that, does that have probiotic um, 
qualities? Yes, yes. When it's got the the scoby or the mother okay. in the vinegar, when it's actually raw as well, they haven't pasteurized it after, then yes, that does have probiotic qualities. Yes. Yeah, unfortunately, it just doesn't taste very nice. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. Just down it. <laughs> I need to wash my hair. So I, I have been having apple cider vinegar every morning and every evening but I don't know why I'm doing it. So can you can you shed some light on that? Yeah, well, I can't tell you why you're doing it. Why are you doing it? I don't know why you're doing it, Jackie. It's just, it's well, almost... Actually, it tastes my salt water taste better. And if I put the iodine drops in my water, then it definitely tastes better. So, but I don't know, you know, people say have apple cider vinegar, but I don't know why they say it. But Yeah, I mean, it goes back to when they used to tell us to have brains whole grains and we did it without knowing why so you know it's like I think it's sort of up to us as consumers really to make sure that we um, educate ourselves to know why we're doing what we're doing and why we're eating or drinking what we're eating or drinking and so where did you pick up this idea that you had to consume apple cider vinegar I don't know I've heard it around I've done it on and off for years so a long time ago even before I was keto so I would bring it in but before I was keto I used to get some quite distressed stomach after a while if I do it for a week or so more recently I've been doing it for quite a long time now maybe since last summer so several months and I think I heard that it helps with fat burning, but that is not proving to be the case. So, yeah. Well, then maybe it's not true. Yeah, maybe it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you probably know enough about um, metabolism now to know that not one single element of you know, food or drink will help with fat burning and that it's a whole system. If you don't bring in foods into your body, that will help store fat, i.e. carbs, or at least um, refined carbs, then you're not going to put on fat. Mm. And if you let your body use up its stored fat, then it's you're going to lose weight. So I think the diet industry, including some keto people, uh, you know, gurus, whatever, have, you know, sort of, they hang on this really strong need for people to believe that this one thing will help me lose fat. Mm. Yeah, I've I've just been in a trial and error process for quite a long time now because I've been fairly static for two years. My weight stayed the same, but I still have a lot of weight to lose. I would still be considered obese. I know BMI is not great, Mm. but considering I'm quite short I'm still quite dumpy <laughs> but my weight is stable yeah, it comes down to how you feel if you're not comfortable in your own body then there's something to be done about it rather than relying on some BMI scale oh yeah in my in my humble opinion but yeah so you know for, for you I'm not I'm not going to start coaching here <laughs> but for you it might be a question of well you need longer fasts or it might be a question of you need to bring down your carbs even lower, you know. Um, but I would be jolly surprised if only apple cider vinegar helps with weight no, loss. No, I know that. I know that. But I just thought I'd try it and maybe, I, well, while I'm taking my iodine, it does help help the um, yes. 
the iodine go down because that is really nasty taste, worse than vinegar and worse than salt. Do you have thyroid issues? Why you're, no? No. Why are you taking iodine? I well, um, actually, it was Dr. Ken Berry who said that everybody, unless you're living on a high seafood diet, you should have some iodine. So I bought one, and it was very, very expensive, and so I'm having it. <laughs> And when it's gone, it's gone. That'll be fine. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. It was also in our salt as well. So as we move to the pink Himalayan salt, that's not iron iodinized. Mm. Um, so back to the regular salt. So everybody was moving to the pink Himalayan salt, which isn't, wasn't, which doesn't have the iodine in it. I was taking the apple cider vinegar because I thought it actually helped with blood sugars. So blood sugar... Um, control. So it was interesting because I did notice when I was taking it religiously how much better my my blood sugars were tested like fasted ones in the morning. So I did sort of attribute it to that but it wasn't necessarily for the probioticness of it but it was just obviously for blood sugar. So being the scientific person, I went to Google Scholar to sort of see if there was any literature or evidence for um, for that, and it, the jury's still out so about it. So it has been researched in terms of the health benefits for apple cider vinegar, but it's very loose in terms yeah. of. I mean, you can't evidence. do any harm, you know, to have some unless you actually, like me, don't like it. In which case, why? Why bother eating or drinking something you actually don't like? But, um, yeah, it's probably, uh, you know, what they say, part of a healthy diet, which in my case includes probiotic foods in, you know, and, and a variety of them. And in that sense, it's the variety that's healthy rather than the one element Correct. of that variety. Mm. Sounds like, Jackie, we need to... Um include more variety so we can ditch the apple cider vinegar i actually have last two weeks ago maybe made some sauerkraut so that's fermenting away so i want to ask you netta so i left it in my cupboard in a dark cupboard for a week and then i've put it in the fridge is that right fair enough i leave it for three weeks to ferment okay actually you know there's no sort of um right or wrong way in the sense that it will naturally get to a pH that is that will stop the fermentation process naturally. So the pH will go down, it'll get more, more, a little bit more acid, and then it will get to a level at which the pathogens will not be able to survive and the fermentation progress, uh, pr- uh, process will stop naturally. Um, so, yeah, that sounds good to me. Um, I, as I say, I leave it for three weeks, to ferment and then I put it in the fridge and uh, same thing for my kimchi it's faster than that it only takes about five or six days to ferment yeah we eat some pretty much every day so you you now teach people about this don't you how, I do how do you do that it. well you know I'm a teacher and I can't not teach what I know <laughs> and so well, I mean, I've been teaching people here in Quebec in French because I'm fluently bilingual, um, you know, to to make their own kombucha rather than rely on the sugary, crappy ones in the stores. Um, I teach them how, and it's much cheaper to make their own. I mean, I don't know how much it costs where you are, but it's like 
10 dollars or something per liter here in the shops whereas i think i can make a liter for about 30 cents so it's just tea you know regular builders black tea and sugar and water and the scoby so um i teach them how to make their own kombucha you know if they want to and don't force it on anyone their own yogurt milk kefir sauerkraut kimchi or any other fermented vegetables beets carrots whatever you can ferment whatever you want it's amazing because it is a science isn't it like fermentation science so it's an actual sort of chemistry chemistry lesson everything in life i suppose you could say is chemical even water (laughs) Uh, if you break it down to its you know to its atoms and molecules and it is we've made it into a science because we've gone and sort of you know written down all the quantities and everything else but I mean people were fermenting foods cultures were fermenting foods no pun intended for thousands of years before we Mm. in the west decided that we needed scientific proof of how good it it is for our gut health I mean we're like 2,000 3,000 years late to the party Party. yeah wasn't it a I was going to say a Turkish person had milk in their bag on the side the side saddle and that's how the actual yogurt actually started, so the fermentation, that sort of stuff. Yeah, so. that's science for you. <laughs> mm. It was yeah. interesting because now, you know, you're also teaching maybe through inspiring, educating, informing through your podcast. How did that all come about? Oh, yes. Well, after I spent a couple of years um, sort of teaching in French, um, people were asking me, you know, do you have anything in English? Um, so not necessarily people in Quebec, but outside of Quebec. So because, of course, English is my first language, I thought, well, what can I do to get the message out there? And I just love listening to podcasts myself. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to make a podcast. So I sort of prepared it and sort of learned a bit about how to do a podcast. You don't just sit down and make a podcast, do you, as you know? Um, So I sort of went through that learning process. And then I'd given myself a goal to, you know, publish my podcast in January 2021. And January 31st came along and I thought, oh, my gosh, I've got to press the publish button. So (laughs) it ended up being published on January 31st, which was a Sunday, and now it comes out every Sunday. Yeah, it's a good podcast. I've been listening. I went back to the beginning and I've been catching up. Ah, smashing. Thank you. And um, it caught on really fast. Um, It's called Life After Sugar, Stories to Inspire. And the the sort of approach to it that I wanted to have was a mix of um, interviews with inspiring people, like yourselves, um, who, you know, live their own life after sugar in all different ways. There's not just one way. Um, And also with experts and also solo episodes where I go on about stuff to do with sugar. And how have your family sort of taken to your your new fame, you know, mum's the podcaster now? Yes, well, you know, I I was a superstar for them before. That's my my version of things. Now you're a mega superstar. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean they, they they keep my feet on the ground. Let's put it that way. 
So they're like, yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, every, you know, every day I tell my husband, oh, wow, I've got this many downloads on my podcast. And he's an engineer, he's into mathematics. So he's, you know, looking at the stats and, you know, it's all the, the numbers. And I'm just happy that people are listening, basically. And so are your family, do they eat the same way with you, like sugar? Well, I know you did an episode with your daughter as well, so she doesn't eat yeah. a lot of sugar, does she? What about your well, husband? It, she do, actually, it depends what you mean by a lot when you say a lot of sugar. So well, the short answer is no, they don't eat the same as me because we're three different individuals um, and I don't impose anything on anyone. Um, the long answer, seeing as you asked... <laughs> is that my daughter, I do not um, uh, stop her from eating anything she wants. So she can eat whatever she likes. She'll eat sweets when she wants and she'll eat sugar if she wants. And the bottom line is that she doesn't want that much of it. And I leave her to sort of make her own limits, as it were. She's 13 now, so she's more able to do that but I still have the buying power I'm still the one that buys the groceries so I'm in charge of what comes into the house Mm. and what's available for her and totally not in control of what she eats elsewhere and I'm quite comfortable with that that is a really hard thing for for young people and that was something that I had to really let go of particularly when my young men um, you know, were having their part-time jobs. So I could only control what was in my my house, in my environment, in the pantry. So I did put limits on what came into the house. But if they wanted the crisps or the, the cookies or biscuits, that sort of stuff, then that was up to them. So that meant that when they actually had those part-time jobs and two of them had them in uh, Burger King, so I had to let go because we were doing our meals and, you know, we actually had mostly um, like no no potato, no rice, no pasta. But, you know, there were some times when they wanted fries or crisp, you know, like chips, that sort of stuff. So I had to let go there as well. So there was there was some things that was was within my control, picked my battles. Because obviously, when we were moving to a like a no grain um, house, no sugar house, um, yeah, we had to obviously negotiate, and it was a transaction. So using that transactional approach with with the young people, because at that stage we had 12, 14 and fifteen year olds. So um, you know, and their their ages where they had a lot of that self. Um, decision making so became very negotiated as to what we were going to be doing yeah I mean I'm a great believer in in allowing our kids again the power I call it power to make their own choices and to live with the consequences of their own choices all with within our sort of parental guidelines you know as I said as, as parents we're in charge of what comes into the house until they're quite old, really. And in our case, at least, she doesn't go to the grocery store and buy her own stuff. So to to that extent, there's a certain control. Mm. But within that, I find that giving her permission, as it were, to eat whatever 
And sometimes I buy biscuits and that for her so that she can decide whether or not she wants to eat any. And it's her making that decision, not me. And so, you know, it's like if, if I were to say there are no biscuits coming into this house ever, then I think that takes away her power to decide. Yeah, we just have to be the role models and then they follow right. follow or or not follow. But yeah, for been... that episode with her, she, um, she sounded really grown up and really able to make a decision about whether she wants it or not. Yeah, because she's been given that space to be able to decide for herself, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's very empowering. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, and sometimes she doesn't make super good choices and nor do we as adults so you know very true i don't know if i would have the strength though i i I mean all power to you to to do that to bring it into the home if i had a picket of you know a packet of like penguins like the australian equivalent of penguins Mm -hmm. in the uk those chocolate biscuits i if i saw that in the in the cupboard in the pantry it has this mystical, mythical power over me. And that's, as an abstainer, that's some of those hard limits about bringing things into the house. So it's not that once it's open, then it, that voice, it's like that siren, you know, that's singing to me, eat me, Louise, eat me. Um, yeah, I, I, I would have, I would find that problematic. But in saying that, the, the crisps and the the lunch snacky things that the boys used to have, you know, the fruit bars and all those sorts of things. They, they used to go disgustingly packaged stuff in their in their lunchbox. Um, they weren't big sandwich eaters, so um, yeah. And in Australia, we did we didn't we never have a, a school lunch program, so we had to make lunch. So a lot of it was prepackaged, you know, things. But that stuff never bothered me. But if there were things that I knew were my trigger things, then I would not want to do that. But in saying that, I, I agree that, yes, power and control needs to come, you know, that self-regulation stuff for, for young young people. And if we take that away from them, then they never learn that. When, um, as we were role models, and Jackie's got two, two young men now, um, when we were role modeling a lot of quite well-structured meals, no sugar, no grains, every night, day in and day out, some of them sort of, you know, they were, you know, very compliant in, in what, what we were eating. So much so the eldest, his skin, because he had quite cystic acne, his skin was beautiful. It was clear. You know, he had no greasy T-zones, you know, that sort of stuff. He's absolutely. But as soon as he went back to sort of, you know, buying the lollies, buying the sweets, um, you know, buying the candy, you know, the chocolate, that sort of stuff, immediately his, you know, um, that cystic sort of T-zone, you know, popped up again. Yeah, and but, mo- I mean, most kids and most parents won't know that, won't see that difference because they'll never do what you're doing and offer no grains, no sugar to their kids. So they won't see that huge difference in the skin. They just mm-hmm. think acne is part of teenagehood. And so I think your kids are great. I'm really lucky to have you there to, you know, to, to show them that there is a big difference, not just in weight yeah. and whatnot, but in their skin with that kind of, and what you were saying about 
self-regulation. I mean, I have to say, if there are chips or crisps in the house, um, I'm the same as you for biscuits, but with chips, with salty, crunchy snacks. I can't be trusted around them. I'll just finish the bag. And, you know, so, I, uh, you know, I just have to not buy any. Is that the same with macadamias for you? Do you find that with macadamias? The nuts? Mm. No, I'm all right with nuts, but I can't digest nuts super well because of the phytic acid and the anti-nutrients. So I'm not that um, bad with nuts because I, it doesn't take that many of them for me to, to have like stomach cramps and whatnot unless I soak them beforehand. So, yeah, but it's the crunchy, you know, engineered crunch that, and the saltiness that gets me. Letta, do you think your tastes have changed over the years? Yes. Over the years since I stopped eating sweet foods, my, it, I used to be the world's number one sweet tooth. And that's how I identified myself. And I, it was a source of pride for me. <laughs> and then I went through this existential angst of who am I now that I don't eat sugar anymore or sweet foods? And not only now that I eat them, but I actually got to a point where I don't actively like sweet tastes anymore, if that's even possible. We're, we're told that all humans like sweet tastes, and it may be true when we're, you know, babies and breastfed, but I was 45. I sort of, I've been weaned for quite a long time now. And to my complete amazement, I don't even like sweet tastes anymore. And a green apple is sweet enough for me to be able to have like a quarter or half the apple and then get overwhelmed with the sweetness of it mm. and a, a green apple isn't even sweet you know it's about as much as I can handle so although I will sort of try a little bit like if I'm traveling somewhere you know exotic and, I'll, and there's some fresh mango or fresh pineapple you can believe I'm eating it and tasting it but but naturally after one or two pieces my taste buds are like all right stop enough already we've had enough mm. so I, that's why louise what you were saying before about the biscuits and whatnot it, they don't call to me because i don't like that taste anymore whereas i do like the salty taste that's my thing yeah it's really interesting isn't it how i mean certainly i know that the the power sweetness factor has has definitely changed so yeah that that's really interesting in how you know things are overtly sweet sweet to me so i yeah i agree with that i don't know if yeah i think i still as we were talking about the the cookies and the biscuits and that sort of thing i think i still have you know at the heart of it you know that that addiction engineered in my brain wired in my brain ready to it's like spring-loaded. Yeah, but at least you're aware of it. Absolutely. I think that's the biggest takeaway from my journey is obviously the things that um, the neurochemical wiring, I'm quite sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. mm. So how can people find out more about you, find your podcast, connect with you on social media? So um, my podcast is called Life After Sugar, as is pretty much everything I do. That's sort of my trademark. It, it actually literally is trademark now. Um, my website where you can find all the players of the podcast is aftersugarclub.com. So aftersugarclub.com. 
www.thelaughingbrook.com. That's my website. You can find all kinds of uh, free resources there about sugar and cutting sugar and fermented foods. And you can find a podcast page there to listen to all of the different um, podcast episodes. Um, you, I have um, a Facebook page. I don't have a group because I don't like Facebook for groups, quite frankly. But I have a Facebook page called Life After Sugar, where I do little lives every day about different aspects of sugar-free living. I have an Instagram called uh, at my life after sugar, where I put sort of pictures of what I eat and what I'm doing and, you know, Instagram stuff. <laughs> um, I do have a, a LinkedIn and a Clubhouse um, profile, but I'm not there very much. You can come and say hello and I'll hello you back. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's basically my website. And I just started my Life After Sugar program, which is a paid program where I've got people in there for my sort of beta program that I'm helping to change, like completely transform their relationship with sugar, which is, I think, at the heart of it all. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So what would, before we finish up, could you share with us your three top tips? For living happily sugar-free. <laughs> However you want to interpret that. Yeah, so I would say if, you know, it, cutting sugar when you see it as losing something is not very attractive. So my first tip would be to, to come on over and let me educate you about just how wonderful life is after sugar. So the less sugar and flour, I include that, and even sweeteners, the less you consume, the better you're going to feel. You may have a temporary period where you, you feel a bit sort of, uh, you know, under the weather. But after that, you've got your whole life ahead of you of feeling fantastic, more energy and just generally your health getting better. So it's changing the, the way of thinking from, oh, my gosh, I'm losing something. To, oh, goodness, look how much I'm gaining from dropping sugar. That's tip number one. Tip number two is to be aware that your taste can change. And that, as I was saying before, you know, we love the taste of sugar or chocolate or whatever. But over the over time, that can actually change. And, and that's not just me saying it from my, you know, n equals one experiment. That is, has been neurologically proven that your tastes and your taste buds and your brain will change the less sweetness you consume. That's tip number two. And tip number three, I would say, is to give it a try. Give it a try and don't wait till Monday. Start now. You know, go and actually take action to start reducing not just sugar but sweet tastes, not just sugar but starchy foods as well. Mm. Yeah, and like you said, like you were told, just try it for two weeks and see see how that affects you exactly yeah and get on my email list you know and i'll send you lots of more lots more tips yeah i mean i know i said i was gonna be sugar-free for 30 days and i'm now six weeks in something like that so just, amazing yeah, just goes on yeah amazing and, and i said mean, two weeks and it's been almost six years yeah jackie you mean sweetener free though don't you like not like sugar free sugar well sugar as in chocolate 85 percent chocolate has oh, sugar okay. and sweetener free as well yeah 
Okay. Sweet and free. And I'm but, not going to stay like you that. Don't, but I, yeah, I, um, you know, have done it, and that has released a power over me that it held before. So, bravo, um, bravo. So, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for being with us. You're very welcome. I had great fun with you. Thank you. That's great. Thanks, Netta. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. <laughs> Isn't it interesting where we actually have someone who is a hard and fast abstainer, Jackie? It's really good to know that there are people that, for whatever their reason, and this really talks to like Netta's why, you know, why is she abstaining from the no sugar, no, no grains? And that's because of obviously her, you know, presenting with IBS and, you know, mental health. So she's really tapped into her why. And for her, abstaining from the sugars and grains that she's done for, you know, congratulations, Netta, for six years, that it is working for her. So it gives us a pause to reflect in a way that there's, again, the listeners all know that Jackie can moderate and I'm an abstainer. But for my why, um, you know, I was obviously like Jackie, you know, obese or morbidly obese but metabolically well so there is some flexibility with our um with our eyes yeah and we can we can tailor that because we we don't notice the effect so i was speaking to someone the other day and she said i was off plan but straight away i noticed it in my knees her knees were starting to hurt so i think people notice things straight away now if i eat off plan for a week or two i don't really notice you know, if I was on holiday and I wasn't sticking to the plan all the time, um, I wouldn't particularly notice anything different other than my weight yeah. going up. I, I would definitely know if I was off plan and I would definitely have, because obviously my why for my chronic pain condition from, from my motorcycle accident, that I would definitely know those niggles would come back. You know, I'd feel it like your like your friend um, in, in my knees, but particularly in my back where my injuries were. But, and also like you, you know, being as I was morbidly obese, but a well morbidly obese with no sort of real derangement in blood pressures or diabetes, pre, pre-diabetes. But certainly, yes, yeah, I do get bloated and I obviously do because I have been weighing myself. Um, that, um, I would notice that the tick, the uptick in the, in the trend would be, would be going up. But I really admire her commitment to, and like Sharon Betts, a previous podcast guest, mm. that yeah, episode. 31. So we actually have very committed people to to no sugar, and we know why because as our other podcast guests, Bitten Johnson and Jen Jen Unwin, you know that, that it is an addictive sort of cycle. So we do know that those are potential potential triggers as well. And then there's certain health conditions that would benefit from having no sugar and, and even no flour and no sweetener at all, uh, all the time. So with fibromyalgia and, um, st- stomach issues, particularly, mm. these are going to respond very well because we know that the sweeteners can, um, interfere with the microbiome. So yeah. they're probably better off avoiding yeah. it. Yeah. And, We'd, we'd probably oh, all be better off avoiding absolutely. them. But, but 
we have to make it fit with our lifestyle. And I know that, Jackie, you, you're very close to your family and that at social occasions, you know, it's really important that, well, for most, you know, for when we actually have family and, and you're playing the game of cards with your, your mum and your sister on a Sunday afternoon that you don't want to miss out. Yeah. No, and, and it's not every week. It's not every weekend, really. So, you know, when they're having things at the weekend and, and my mum's usually quite good, but the biscuits come out and things. I don't, I don't have to eat anything. I don't need anything. But if we were having a get together and there was a few people coming round and it was for tea and cakes and at, at that sort of situation where they're all having sitting down and having tea and cakes with lots of people, then I would, I would make something for myself and it might be, it's usually a cheesecake because that's easy to make. Um, but I would make myself something so that I felt that I could join in. Mm. Yeah, and, and I think that's part of obviously making this sustainable for you as well. So if you have situations where, not to say that's unavoidable, but, you know, you're in a situation, a social situation where you can be accommodating still keto, as you said, you know, low-carb keto with your with your cheesecake, that you can actually still feel connected to the event, the social situation, and still be obviously on plan as opposed to tucking into the into the cakes and the biscuits. Yes. And the chocolate yes. raisins. I know how much you love those chocolate raisins. <laughs> MS chocolate raisins. Yeah. I'm sure I can moderate them. Well you can. I'll ha I'd have to I'd have to do a test, but yeah, I'm sure I could moderate no. them. I just sometimes choose not no, to. No, that's very much you. That is that is your choice. Yes, I can imagine. Yeah, unlike me, because yeah, once I once I open up that rabbit hole of the there's eleven biscuits, you know, in the Tim Tam packet. Yeah, Tim Tams. Eleven Tim Tams. How do I know that? Yes, once I start, I, it's, it's like yeah. a Pringle. Once I pop, I can't stop. So um, yeah. Yeah. See, I used to have. See, I would always only ever have two biscuits with when when I was eating biscuits. But if they were Jaffa cakes, then I would have more and I would struggle. I could eat a whole packet of Jaffa cakes. I definitely could. I don't think I ever have, but I definitely could do it. I never went there when I was living in the UK. <laughs> I never I never had a penguin and I never had a Jaffa cake. No. So um, it gives me reason to come back and, and maybe try one, half a one. So mm, Yeah. No, you can't have no. half one. You can't have a whole one because they're so small nowadays. <laughs> And the penguins are not what they used to be when we were growing up. Either my tastes have changed or penguins have changed, but I, I tend to think the penguins have changed. Okay. They're not the same. You're not missing anything with the penguin. <laughs> it's just one of those rivalries between Vegemite and Marmite. So, um, yeah, that's the um, sort of all a good fun listeners for the band to hear. So, Jackie, where can we get the show notes for Nedda's episode? So the show notes are at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero five zero. Great. Hey, Jackie. You know when you were starting out with keto, you probably had loads of questions. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Don't you wish you just had someone who was able to give you just the simple answers to all those questions about macros, electrolytes, reading nutrition labels and sweetness? Absolutely, yeah. Well, we want to have an episode where you, dear listener, can AMA, which stands for Ask Me Anything. You'll be able to ask us anything using a Fabulously Keto webpage where there is a contact form and you could submit your questions, which we will answer on these episodes.
The contact page is fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. Whether you're just starting out or experienced in your journey, we will happily answer your questions. You don't have to be new to keto, so if you're further along in your journey and have questions on being stuck on a plateau or a stall, then feel free to submit your questions as well. Just head over to www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulouslyketo and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Follow us on social media. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto One. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know that you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto One and the hashtag TF. KP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories, and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication. Mm -hmm.